effectively became like a hermitage where we had to stay home and just meditate. And so we have, we're trying to study solitude with spirituality. So it seemed natural to study, to read the journals of Thomas Merton, who's an expert. Uh, we wanted an expert, right? While we're in solitude, while staying in place, meditating in place, sheltering in place, quarantining in place. Mm -hmm. Our solitude in New York City. Mm. January 25th, 1962. This is from the journals of Thomas Merton now in 1962. In concluding this retreat, quote, this one, there can be no doubt... No compromise in my decision to be completely faithful to God's will and truth. Hence, I must seek always and everything to act for His will and in His truth, and thus to seek with His grace to be, God, be a saint. He's trying to become a saint. Wow. That's why he works full time. There must be no doubt, number two, <clears throat> there must be no doubt, no compromise in my efforts to... Avoid falsifying this work of truth by considering too much what others approve of and regard as holy. In a word, it may happen, or it may not, that what God demands of me may make me look less perfect to others, that it may rob me of their support, their affection, their respect. To become a saint, therefore, may mean the anguish of looking like, or in a real sense, being a sinner and outcast. It may mean apparent conflict with certain standards, which may be wrongly understood by me and by others or by all of us. Number three, the thing is to cling to God's will and truth in their purity and try to be sincere and to act in all things out of genuine love insofar as I can. <clears throat> February 27, 1962, from a human and rational viewpoint, there is every chance of a disastrous war in the next three to five years. He's still worried about war. What year is that? 62. Yeah. Uh, but there wasn't a war. The Cold War. He shouldn't do unnecessary worrying. <laughs> when was the Korean War? Well, they had the Cuban Missile Crisis. But, but the Korean War? Korean was? War. That's the 50s. In the 50s. Well, actually, they had the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You call Vietnam that a war? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so how, how long was it? The Vietnam War? It drug on for a while. When so, did it end? In the 70s, I think. The drug got through the 60s. We lost America, lost to Vietnam. <laughs> United States lost the war. <laughs> we don't need to have a war so far away. Uh, Why don't we have a war against some planet that's in a, a galaxy that's uh, 100 yeah. million light years away? Huh? Mm, tell me. Should we have a war? Yeah, because they throw on Earth uh, some special rain. You want to go to war with Vietnam? With with uh, New Zealand and try to see some land there. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
We could go to war over Antarctica, over the... Yes, the only justified war would be somebody's... We could go to the... Against your frontier. Fight over the North Pole with Russia. <laughs> go to war. <laughs> Although it is almost unbelievable to imagine this country being laid to waste, yet that is very probable what is going to happen. He's still worried about nuclear weapons, or what's the problem? Without serious reason, without people wanting it, and without them being able to prevent it because of their incapacity to use the power they have acquired, they must be used by it. So we're being used by the power. Hence the absolute necessity of taking this fact soberly into account and living in the perspectives which it establishes. And an almost impossible task. <clears throat> Number one, preeminence of meditation and prayer, of self-emptying, cleaning out, getting rid of the self that blocks the view of truth. That's correct. The self that says it will be here and then that it will not be here. Hmm. Do we have a self that thinks it's here and then that it won't be here? Hmm. Yeah, we think we're here and we think... We think we will not be here later on. And we think there won't be any nuclear war. Because <laughs> we just think, we think that nothing is possible that can happen. See, I just presume I'll live to 118 and nothing will go wrong. Uh -huh. I don't want to be Huh? I, I, I don't want to live beyond 80s. You don't want to live? Hmm. 80s actually it's a long time, 89 could be before, beyond uh, 82, let's say. Well, isn't that a mismatch if I'm into extreme longevity planning and training and diet and exercise, but to live to 118, but you don't plan to go past 80? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe you'll be jealous sometimes. I'll be jealous of you? Yeah, and you're not going to want to live any longer. I won't want to. No, so why would you? Hmm. Beyond this I was going to complete my evolution into sainthood and not reincarnate, that's why. Uh -huh. Oh, like to extend this life so you hmm. pay for all your sins. I wanted to pay for all my sins so in this back. lifetime and not have another. Come back. Not come back. Okay. Makes sense. I need a longer time to pay for my sins. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I'm supposed to want rejection. I guess we all live as long as it takes to pay for our sins. That's the we read in Maneri that mm -hmm. rejection and miserableness would be good. Yeah. I want to be rejected. Like more rejection to your life. A longer time to be rejected. <laughs> Preeminence of compassion for every living thing, for life, for the defenseless. See, I could just be alive for the sake of compassion. To help every living thing for life and for the defenseless and simple beings, for the human race in its blindness, for Christ crucified in his image, a Eucharistic sacrifice in humility and silence. Weariness of words, except in friendship, in the simplest, most direct kind of communication, by word of mouth or letter. 
preeminence of the silent conclusive action. If any presents itself of meaningful suffering accepted in complete silence without justification. June 12, 1962. The Merton Reader is finished, and with the publisher I am content with Tom McDowell's final job, and with him. He is a good editor, admirable, too simple, ingenious, and sensible. The details of the war between the publishers are still not clear. Farrar, Strauss, and Kudai, he wanted to trade me for Lowell and Elliot, which is exorbitant, all right. Not flattering, just a little sickening. Then Sister Teresi, who lent for Fauré, has come up with a remarkably interesting to me list of the items in her collection. But for me, can all this have any serious meaning? I suppose I would earnestly like it to. I secretly believe it does, as if the image were real. As if there were a genuine mosaic of accomplishment and achievement, and as if all the little pieces added up to form the face of a real person. That is the illusion. Not that I must repudiate it all, but still it is not insignificant. The irony of total destruction hangs over it to keep me wise. Hmm. I wonder if we would stay wise. Not the threat of total nuclear war hanging over us all the time. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, July 21, 1962, a beautiful Saturday. Bright sky and clouds, not too hot. We had a beautiful day yesterday. Everything I see and experience in Kentucky is to some extent colored and determined by the thoughts and emotions I had when I first came. Do you think that what you experience is colored by the thoughts and emotions you had? It cannot be otherwise. So this day, too, is another day of that time, another link in the chain that began then, began long before then. August 11th, 1962, the thought of going somewhere, anywhere, especially, of course, to some fabulous mountain monastery, to be a dreamer, a distraction, avidly loved without too much guilt, almost a prayer. Do we dream of going to a mountain monastery, a fabulous one? Uh, a small one. Do you feel that reading this book, in a way, is some fabulous mountain monastery at home? I mostly imagine the outdoors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mostly imagine like trees and yeah, I know. and sky. We imagine the trees and the sky. This little cabin. In the right sky. now, we're in some fabulous mountain monastery reading this book. Yeah. It takes you there. But the thought of going anywhere is now all exhausted, a hopeless spasm of the heart without life, without energy, without tone, without sense. There is no longer even any real conflict. It is beyond guilt, the nauseated turning away, the sufferance, the incomprehension that is beyond yes and no. India? India. No. Himalayas? Faint flicker, but really no. Greece, a Greek island. 
Where are we going? Are we going, Derek, to India or the Himalayas or Greece? Greece. Greece. A Greek island. I think we're going to a Greek island. Athos. You want to go to what's Athos? A. A T H O S. Number one monastery. That's where it's. That's serious. a monastery? Yeah. Serious? How about serious Rome? Monastery. It's only for men. They don't allow women to how about go there. How about Rome? No. Why is called Rome by the Pope himself? Only I would Greece, want to I refuse. Can only, I can only think of Greece. What if the Pope monastery. calls him? Every, anywhere but Rome. He doesn't want to go to Rome. <laughs> He says anywhere but Rome. Paris, no. You know, it lacks simplicity in a way. Dear, I think we should go to France. And I in a like way. the simplicity of the Greek monasteries. Why don't you go to the French countryside? I like that. Let's go to the south of France. Or just France country. How about mm -hmm. all of the countrysides like Brittany and mm -hmm. Provence? And, yeah. Hmm. We're going to go to France. <laughs> Finally, we ended up with France. With all the spirituality and stuff. We just ended up eating furry cheese. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem now that you mention it. I cannot eat anything dirty, so how can I eat huh. France? A faint flicker for Devon and Cornwall. Oh, Cornwall. That's in England. And almost a leap still for Ecuador. Quito. India, they have too many spices. I can't. I'm allergic. How about Ecuador or Cornwall? Cornwall. Actually, I want to spend some time in no England. No idea about all Dear, I need to explore England. You want to rent a car and drive around? Summertime. So we need France and England. Greece. Greece <laughs> and Greece. Europe. We just come back to just Europe then. Mm -hmm. It's like we're Europeans in a way. The Hebrides. What's a Hebrides? Yes, maybe the Hebrides. What's a Hebrides? A place, maybe. Well, one would have to go perhaps to Liverpool on the way. How do you spell it? That's Alexa. That must be islands in the. Alexa, where is Hebrides? Hebrides. No. Dear, they're like, it says you have to go past Liverpool. Oh, so it is in the United States. It's in the great, it's in the United Kingdom. You rather die Dublin, rather die. It's amazing, the names are all from England here. So when he wants to, he Liverpool, would, I think about here, Liverpool. He wants to die in Dublin because there's a lot of writers there, like, like James mm -hmm. Joyce. Or rather die Russia. Better dead. Better dead, the Grand Chartreux. No, bud, leave me alone, no. I guess people, quote, people will do anything, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own psyches. They will practice Indian yoga and all its exercises, observe a strict regimen of diet, learn theosophy by heart, or mechanically repeat mystical texts from the literature of the whole world, all because they cannot get on with themselves and have not the slightest faith 
that anything useful could ever come out of their psyche. Quoted from C.G. Young, Carl Young, in Spiritual Disciplines. Again? Papers from the Iranos Yearbooks, page 366. That's an interesting quote. Huh? Read it again. People, he's quoting from Carl Jung, people will do anything, no matter how absurd, to avoid facing their own psyches. They will practice Indian yoga and all its exercises, observe a strict regimen of diet, learn theosophy by heart, mechanically repeat mystical texts from the literature of the whole world, all because they cannot get on with themselves and have not the slightest faith that anything useful could ever come out of the psyche. I wonder what's in the book Spiritual Disciplines by Carl Jung. He may have analyzed religion. Uh, he may be, if it's about what he says here, he probably strengthens tells you to really be yourself, to be, to analyze yourself, okay. you know, psychic in a way, and, uh, mm. and uh, in there to find uh, beauty and what you're looking for. Exactly. Look in your side yourself instead oh, of beyond what you look for. trying to find it all over the place. <laughs> That's what you do with meditation in mm. a way. But there are other things beyond meditation you can do. My skin is yeah, so dry so and such. Even the reading that we do takes us away from the psyche, our psyche. Well, by contemplating this, I still want to go. Not so much the cities, but the country of England and France and Greece. Not so much the cities. Mm. Right? Yeah, maybe in France, some cities. How can you just live in a car? Uh, we're going to stay in some hostels or stay in an Airbnb or a Monasteries. Stay in monasteries, yeah. Mm -hmm. yes, all right. All of those monasteries you can stay there's, for a while. There's a lot of monasteries you can you visit. You can give a donation. So you can stay in them. They're, they're not always exp highly expensive. Mm -hmm. They may be austere, but we are extreme ascetics, right? So. We're simple. <laughs> September 7th, 1962, Vigil of Our Lady's Nativity. <coughs> a dream. Here he has a dream. In this dream, I am in a village near Bardstown, out of the monastery. It is late. The monks are going to be asleep. Will I get back by bedtime or be out after dark? It is dusk, still daytime. With another man, Tom, Tony Walsh, we meet two lovely young women dressed in white in the almost deserted village. I say delightedly, with you we will easily get a ride. We plan to hitchhike so as to get back to the monastery before it is too late. They smile and do not object. I pair off with the less nun-like of the two, and the others ha has a suggestion of a hood or veil, and with my arm around their waist, we walk often down the road. <laughs> so he did dream of people like oh. young stuff around him. He was 60s now, huh? 
midlife crisis. Oh dear, he's not 60. He didn't live that long. I thought you said 68. Was he born, dear? He's not that old because it's he's born 1915. It's now 1962. Uh, he's only 47. That is midlife crisis. Midlife love crisis. <laughs> She's only 47. Back then, 47 was quite a bigger number than today. See, chastity isn't developed by hiding from women, it's by being amongst them. All through the dream I walk with my arm around her. She is fresh and firm <coughs> and pure. A beautiful, sweet person, a stranger yet freely intimate and loving. However, at one point, she tells me seriously that I must never try to kiss her or to seduce her, and I assure her earnestly and sincerely I have absolutely no such intention. This does nothing to alter the intimacy of our relationship and friendship. Here, hereafter, the other two vanish out of the dream. I am with A. Let us call her that. The, that's like he's with Alexa. <laughs> he's with Alexa. Let us call her that. The question of knowing her name never really arises at all. It is totally irrelevant. Through the village, though the village has been dark and empty, now we are outside on the highway at the crossroads. It is light. We decide that, if possible, we will take a bus to Bardstown and get there from there to Gethsemane. Now there are half a dozen people waiting for the bus. They all know A, because she has preached in their village a new doctrine, sort of shaker theology, and they twit, twit her about it. They send a Twitter message to her. They twit her about it. One who kids her is an American Indian. Another says something with lewd implications. And I solemnly and hotly defend her. She lets me know it is hardly necessary. We're still within his dream. The bus comes. I get in the front. There is nobody there. A comes in through another door. We meet in the bus. We are out of the bus again in the midst of the country. I see a chapel. It is a chapel of a novia, novitiat of a foundation of Gethsemane, Genesee. Here's a French phrase. Je ne sais pas. I don't know. Oh, he doesn't know where it is. Je ne sais pas. He knows French, apparently. We will go to the monastery and wake them up. They will understand. Someone will give us a ride. Outside the monastery, a young, secular, and two or three girls, they are in bathing suits. <laughs> now he's with the girls with their bathing suits. Have been swimming in a pond in the farmyard. We will not wake up the monks. The bo this boy will drive us, but we must get to his car without awakening anyone. Complication in the build-up. We do not find the car. On the road, high columns of silver-gray smoke go up from the direction of Bardstown. Tactical atomic weapons. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, though, some kind of test. It is here, I think. 
A told me not to kiss her. So that's a typical trick of women to say, don't kiss me. If a woman told me that, then I would want to. <laughs> so I wouldn't trust her. <laughs> we turn back. Now all the monks, led by their abbot, Dom Esubius, are out on the road dressed as soldiers. He leads them with determination. Surely I will be caught. As we pass through the midst of them, A conceals my monastic crown with her hand. But is this going to be enough? Are they after us? I am in a barn without A. I set fire to straw. If the barn burns, it will divert any pursuit. But can I myself get out? After seeming to be trapped, I am now I am now completely out. On the other side, in open country, I see a vast landscape. Most moving, with the church in the middle, Dutch with a thin spire, sacred objects in the sky, or country round, for instance, a cross. I am going past the church in the open country when I wake up. <sighs> Interesting. What do you think of his dream? <laughs> That's why St. Paul said it's better to marry than to burn. <laughs> and your priest said, you have two choices in life. You either get married, yeah. Or become a monk. wrote about kisses. <laughs> become a monk. Kisses, kisses, kisses <laughs> on my arms, on my hands, <laughs> on my lips, on my face. Ten and ten and ten and ten and more. Last night I slept with your kisses. I had your lips on my face to lullaby me. I had your lips on my arms to cradle me. I had your lips on my lips fooling in sweet dreams endlessly. All night long, I slept with my sisters, all night long, and I wanted more, doubling, doubling, I wanted more. Mm. <laughs> I was trying to find the other one about the, before he kissed me. Can I get more coffee, or do I have to have a kiss? Uh, <laughs> we have coffee or kisses, or both? Mm. Mm -hmm. Remember how we danced yesterday? You wanted to dance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about the coffee? Is there more coffee? You mm -hmm. want me to get the coffee? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How'd you go through so much almond butter? Mm -hmm. We'd we'll have to buy more almond butter if we go to the orchard. We've gone through almond butter fast. What do you? Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's have a beautiful.
poems here, great or wise. You want to read it? Would you like to read it? Is it appropriate? Yeah. Appropriatism. <laughs> <laughs> this is a freelance reading here. We just do what we want. <laughs> Wait a while. Wait a while, my love, and you'll see all pain on your body works you've never seen. Wait a while for me to master the art of poetry. And you'll see with lips of rain, with fingers of wind, all pain on your body works you'll only know. With rain on your forehead, I'll paint the constellation of the seven stars. And the rising sun of a mid-summer day, I'll paint the moonlight of an autumn night. I'll paint on your arms landscapes of foreign lands. I'll paint sunsets of faraway places. On your strong legs, I'll paint golden wings. And on your feet, I'll paint all I see. Between the sky and the sea, and in your palms, I'll paint the fragrance of jasmine. <laughs> I'll paint on your soldiers the courage of love. And on your vast chest, I'll paint a heaven. Well, wait a while, while, love, and you'll see. I'll paint on your body works of ecstasy. From your forehead to your toes, I'll cover your body with works we don't yet know, visions we haven't yet seen. With pleasure unknown to us now, wait a while and you'll see. With kisses and caresses, I'll cover your body with beauty, beauty never seen. Wait a while and in your heart I'll draw, I'll draw poems of love not yet known. Not yet known, <laughs> or no. Poems I had in dreams had in dreams from ages ago. So you have a few editorial issues here. It says, Love not yet known in poems I had in dreams from ages ago. You have some typos. Mm -hmm. You need to very nice poem though. Mm -hmm. hmm. Very romantic. Huh? Yep, that's how much I loved you. See, a real flesh and blood woman is better than a, a nymph in a dream. <laughs> <laughs> See, I know that much, dear. Mm -hmm. These single celibate men have non-stop problems with celestial nymphs uh, coming. Well, some of them even have like eight, sixteen arms. Mm -hmm. So, and a flesh and blood woman is higher manifestation than a celestial nymph. And plus, they're, they are bad characters, some of them. They're seductive. Mm -hmm. So the only escape is from, from burning is, according to St. Paul, to, to marry so they don't end up being burned up by a celestial nymph. <laughs> so... October 2nd, 1962, though I am nearly 48, it is doubtless time to feel a change of climate in my physical being, which begins to dispose itself for its end to some one of these years. It is useless to interpret every little sign or suggestion of change as something of great importance. It is a temptation I yield to. I am still too young mentally. To be in the least put patient of any sign of age, my impatience is felt as a upheaval of resentment, disgust, depression. Do you think the 60s is the new 40s and that, that I'm effectively the same age as, as Thomas Merton? 
I'm the same age as him because my metabolic age is in the 40s. How old am I? 40 something? Yet I am joyful, I like life, I am happy with it, I have ne really nothing to complain of. But a little of the chill, a little of the darkness, the sense of void in the midst of myself, I say to my body, Okay, all right then, die, you idiot. But it is not really going, trying to die, it just wants to slow down. Do you feel your body wants to slow down? Mm. But we're only in our 40s, because... The, the 60s are the, the 40s, the new 40s, due to engineering, due to medical engineering. This war scare aggravates it, the sense of death and desperation running through my whole society with all its bombs and its money and its death wish. The colossal sense of failure in the midst of success that is characteristic of America. Do you feel America has a colossal sense of failure in the midst of its success? That is, America cannot really face. I have a comfortable sense of success, which I know to be more or less meaningless, yet I want to make my will now as a writer. Go on, fool. Forget it. You may write another 20 books. Who knows? In any case, does it matter? <clears throat> is this relevant? On the contrary, now is the time I must learn to stop <clears throat> taking satisfaction in what I have done and being depressed because the night will come and my work will come to an end. Now is the time to give what I have to others and not reflect on it. I wish I had learned the knack of it, of giving without question or care. I have not, but perhaps I still have time to try. <laughs> We are currently locked into this book by a quarantine order from the state of New York. Mm -hmm. Locked into the solitude and hermitageishness of this book to learn meditation and solitude. December 9th, 1962, Sunday Advent. Hurt my hand falling on a sharp stone in the garden in the dark, on the way to prime. Morale, don't be looking at the stars on the way to prime. <clears throat> it is beautiful Advent weather, grayish and cold. We're now in December, dear. Mm -hmm. With clouds of light, snow whirl, whirling across the valley, and I see it is really winter. I put some bread out for the birds. 21 years tomorrow since I landed here. I feel closer to my beginning than ever, yet perhaps I am near my end. What? The Advent hymns sound as they first did, as if they were the nearest things to me that ever were, as if they had been decisive in shaping my heart and my life, as if I had received their form, as if there could never be any other maladies so deeply con-natural to me. <clears throat> They are myself, words and melody and everything. So also the Rorate Kole, which brought me here to pray for peace. I have not prayed for it well enough and been put enough in heart or wise enough. Today, before the <coughs> Blessed Sacrament, I was ashamed of the impertinences and the deep infidelities of my life, rooted in weakness and confusion. Hmm. 
Uh, we're going to get through 62. Huh? Do you like to take this bike? Here we come to December 11, 1962, afternoon. The primary duty to seek coherence, clarity, awareness, insofar as these are possible. Not only human coherence and clarity, but those that are born of silence, emptiness, and grace, which means always seeking the right balance between study, work, meditation, responsibility to others, and solitude. Hmm. Dear, I'm always trying to find the always seeking, which means always seeking the right balance between study, work, meditation, responsibility to others, and solitude. Do we find uh, the right balance between study, work, meditation, responsibility to others, and solitude? Do you feel? You can just you can just allocate you know certain time. Mm -hmm. We can study. We can work. We can meditate. Well, as, as far as now, we've been studying. We studying. We did the unnecessary <laughs> readings. We studied, and then we do work around the house, like cooking, and A bit also. we meditated. Uh, we, we, we listen to the master. Yeah. Okay. We're responsible to others. Uh -huh. we go see your mom and. Yeah, a little bit, I guess. So we can, uh, we can have Miss A make for the perfect balance between those things. <laughs> we're looking... Where are we sort of, in a way? We, we're trying to have the perfect balance. <clears throat> Very cold, some snow, bright, silent afternoon, I have been shocked at a notice of a new book by Rachel Carson on what is happening to birds as a result of the Indiscriminate use of poisons, which mm -hmm. do not oh. manage to kill the insects oh, the they intend to kill. Use. Rachel Carson is like a naturalist or something. Mm -hmm. Isn't she a famous ecology person? Someone will say, you worry about birds, why not worry about people? I worry about both birds and people. <clears throat> I mean, if you worry about people, you should worry about birds. <laughs> you know, we're all in it together, and if you will... It's a whole of cycle, one interdependent. We're learning now that if you destroy the environment, you're basically destroying people. <laughs> we are in the world a part of it. We are destroying everything because we are destroying ourselves spiritually, morally, and in every way. It is all part of the same sickness. It all hangs together. <clears throat> December 15, 1962. Charming letter from Eleanor Shipley Duquette, who on returning to Smith College from England, Cambridge, found some notes I had sent and is making them her advent reading. <clears throat> I am very attracted to her. I only just get a girlfriend. Huh? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess he could have one. Why didn't he just leave the monastery and get a girlfriend? Huh? She is a sweet person. She wrote part of her letter in Latin, though I have so far not had much contact with her. It began when the University of Michigan Press sent the proofs of her 
<coughs> Carolinian portraits. I feel we can be very good friends. That this friendship can be really precious to us both with the autumn quality of detachment that comes from the sense that we are coming to the end of our lives. Uh, the guy is only like 48 and he's obsessing about the end of his life. She must be quite older than I, in her 60s, I presume. Now he's got an older lady. The sense of being suspended over nothingness, and yet in life, and being a fragile thing, a flame that may blow out and yet burns brightly, adds an inexpressible sweetness to the gift of life, for one sees it entirely and purely as a gift, and one that one must treasure in great fidelity with a truly pure heart. Hmm. That's what I was thinking about with my father's, the last photographs, the, the I call it the last thoughts of Lyle Smith. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. He has these beautiful pictures of the, just of the, the foliage of the trees in the woods and the farm and stuff. And it says, this sense of being suspended over nothingness and yet in life of being a fragile thing, a flame that may blow out and yet burns brightly adds an inexpressible sweetness to the gift of life where one sees it entirely and purely as a gift, one that one must treasure in great fidelity with a truly pure heart. <clears throat> See the last, I call it the last thoughts of Lyle Smith. <laughs> And he just has... Uh, Show me the photos. Uh, I can't right now. <coughs> huh. He just takes these beautiful plants, landscape pictures of the trees in fall, and he takes uh, the farm and with nobody in it. It's just yes. the fields and... The How do you know this has it last? Well, they're 2001, and he got sick later on, and he just stopped producing photos. That was, so it's his last, uh, it, from what I can tell, 2001's is about his last year of photographs. December 22, 1962. Josh, Josh, Mer, Merlo sent one of his off-prints in French on the ritual of giving and receiving Christmas presents. It is really very amusing and interesting. In the middle of it, I saw the connection with my own life, with my failure to really trust another person enough to give myself completely to her. My sexual adventures were always seductions. I wanted them to be conquest, in which in reality I gave nothing, only took. I believe my need and perhaps my latent capacity to give myself was once very deep. Now, well, I get depressed. I remember the frequency of Christmas depressions in the past few years and have come to expect them as a matter of course. Yet my first Christmas here, which was certainly an unreserved gift of myself to my vocation, was fantastically pure and happy. Nor has that happiness ever really left me, in the depths of my soul at least. December 25th, 1962, Christmas Day. Evening, rain, silence, joy. I am certain that 
where the Lord sees the small point of poverty and extenuation and helplessness to which the monk is reduced, <coughs> the solidary, and the man of tears, then he must come down <coughs> and be born there in this anguish and make it constantly a point of infinite joy, a seed of peace in the world. This is and always has been my mission. There is for me no truth and no sense in anything that conceals from me this precious poverty, the seed of tears and true joy. Hence the demonstrations and distractions that take me away from this are foolish and useless and can even constitute infidelities if they are evasions from it. I have a right to speak to others insofar as I speak to the same truth in them, assuage their doubts and make them strong in the small spark of exhaustion in which the Lord becomes their wisdom and their life everlasting. What do the Psalms say but this? Stay vigilant. You will see the help of the Lord upon you. But how deep is this truth? How tremendously important. We do not wait for this axiom domine, this help from the Lord. Others announce it has arrived, but we feel that it has not. Stay vigilant, constantes estote. It will arrive for you also at the proper time in secret. In God's own freedom, beyond all control of timetables, even ecclesiastical. This is a deeper and truer aspect of the Church's mystery, the freedom of her inner life, which may or may not correspond to the exterior indications of the ritual moment. <sighs> we finished 1962, and still the world was not blown up by nuclear weapons, so we're going to be able to read 1963 in the next reading. Hmm. And he didn't. He's still thinking about the ladies. <laughs> you see, if you don't have a lady, you think about the ladies. Mm -hmm. What? Yeah, we don't know about his younger years and what he did, but and. Uh -huh. well, I don't know. Yeah. We read in the journals of Thomas Merton the year 1962. <laughs> and we figured we're going to go drive around France, England, and Greece in the countryside, right? Why did we figure that out? <laughs> we, we were thinking between the lines while reading. <laughs> is that normal? What kind of reading is this? <laughs> and we read from the poetry of H.M. From Hari Kalea. <laughs> right? Kalea. Hari Clea. Beautiful poems, dear. I like your poems that you interspersed amongst the reading. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
We're reading from the pivotal years in the intimate Thomas in intimate Merton. Remember that Merton's real autobiography is his personal journals. <laughs> and Merton says himself, my best writing has always been in journals. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this book old? Is uh, Is what old? All of his chapters of this book. All of them are not here. This is a, just a selected. Oh. All of them are probably very long there. There's quite a few volumes. He's like Thoreau. Uh, like, for instance, how do I say that? There's seven volumes of extant journals published by Harper's San Francisco. Here are the titles of the extant journals. Run to the Mountain, Entering the Silence, Search for Solitude, Turning Towards the World, Dancing in the Water of Life, Learning to Love, and The Other Side of the Mountain. And the, we have the last <laughs> one. Which one do we have? What? And, and this book has, has uh, no. uh, only the last ones of all of them, throughout the this, since the intimate Merton presents this, these seven volumes of journals in one volume, it is best regarded as a work of translation compiled through selectivity and extensive cutting. Intimate Merton is a revisioning, and the reader should be aware that the intimate Merton is not how Merton integrally presented himself and his experience in his journals. We have divided intimate Merton into seven chapters that correspond to each volume published by Harper San Francisco. There you go. He wrote seven journals and this book has seven chapters. Does that make sense? It's cut there. It's very little. They cut it. Presumably they picked the, the best uh, that they thought was the best. It's like the Rose Journals. So, we can cut. Do you think every chapter has, the first chapter has the first book, the second chapter has the second book, and so on? They said it has seven chapters that correspond to the... Uh, seven books. Seven books. Okay, so. And I said the chapters, there are the chapters' names are. I read the chapters. The Story of Vocation, Becoming a Monk. Good, Pursuing the monk's true life, the pivotal years, the seeking peace, and Armitage exploring. Which chapter are we reading? Which book are we reading? Ah, we're reading the pivotal years, which is book part four, the fourth oh, book. Four, eh? Yeah, we're already half. We're like halfway through almost. You can't wait. Huh? We're going to end up getting the complete journals of. Henry David Thoreau and the complete journals of Thomas Merton, and then we'll read at random because <laughs> because we can't accept the we're work gonna, of any we're editor. Record all of us. <laughs> <laughs> we can't accept. <laughs> you probably can't record them all. <laughs> you could open the journals at random and say that God directed you on where to open it, uh -huh. mm -hmm. and then read from the divinely. Provided divine inspiration. When you opened it at random, it's clearly divine, <laughs> unquestionably, right? Mm -hmm. 
Do you know that you can open like the Guru Granth at random and you could have a question or thought in your mind and just open the book? You know, it'll answer your question almost directly every time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you know that that's very customary in religion in a lot of ways? That people do that? I used to do that with the master's book sometimes. I used to have a problem and say I love him this book. We could do that. We can do that within all subsets religions, and like we could have a question in our mind, and then open the Bible, then open the Quran, then open the Buddhist scriptures. Look at the master. Every time we, he talks, he talks about what happened the day before. Oh, he he always uh, talks directly to you on your your issues, (laughs) directly. On mine. Yeah, I know. So we don't know if he's talking to us directly or the issues are universal across all of mankind. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. It's funny that this is a Harper San Francisco publication, though that all those journals are, are Harper San Francisco. They just decided to make a shorter one version because nobody can read or buy seven books. Uh, hmm. Or they could, but... Probably only scholars, people who work who dedicate a part of their life to read all of his work. Well, probably every, if you read every entry of the journal, like reading my journal, it's like boring. I said he got up and he played tennis and then he drove the car to the store. <laughs> you could read my journals. It would say, I got up and meditated, then I read Merton, then I, then I went out and played tennis, and then I came back and... We cooked something, and then we then we drove to the Mediterranean and bought some more food, and then you could read my journals. <laughs> but, all right, that's it.